Brittany Watts, a 34-year-old African-American woman of Warren, Ohio, was arrested in October after passing a fetus in her bathroom and trying to flush the remains down the toilet. The case has been before a Trumbull County grand jury since November. If convicted, Ms. Watts could face up to a year in prison. She has pled not guilty. Now, the grand jury was expected to give its report on Wednesday, but a spokesperson for the county prosecutor said the case has been continued until the next session in a couple of weeks. Now, although records show that Ms. Watts spontaneously miscarried, a finding that the state has not challenged, the case has come under scrutiny by lawyers and reproductive health advocates who say that prosecuting Ms. Watts is baseless and may and most likely will deter other women who miscarry from obtaining medical attention they need. Joining us to help us make sense of this really, really uh, significant case and potential travesty of justice is Jesse Hill. She is a professor of law at Case Western Reserve University and a lawyer who litigates re reproductive rights cases. And Morgan Harper uh, returns to the show. She's also an attorney and former candidate for U.S. Senate in Ohio. And Morgan was very involved in a ballot initiative that enshrined abortion rights into the Ohio state constitution. Welcome back, Morgan, and welcome, Professor Hill. Uh, I read this story uh, in the New York Times this morning and reached out to both of you. So thank you for being available so quickly. I was so annoyed, so frustrated, so shocked by this story. Uh, I had to send it to a couple of friends of mine that live in Ohio to say, what the hell is going on in the state? How can something like this happen, Morgan? Start by telling us, you know, what are the existing laws or the laws at the time that uh, Ms. Watts had her miscarriage? What were the laws around abortion? Because I, I know from the story that she went to the hospital a couple of times because she was bleeding and, and she had pain and other complications. So it wasn't like she was just sitting at home hoping her baby or hoping this fetus would miscarry. She was actually seeking actively seeking some kind of medical care. Yeah, and 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 thanks for having me back on and covering the story, though. I, I'm hopeful for the day where you call me to talk about something in Ohio <laughs> that is uh, good news and a good reflection of our state, but it'll come. Um, and, and I'm really happy that um, Professor Hill is here as well to get into to some of the details of the law, because she certainly has a lot more expertise in that area than I do. But I would just say, I, I think we have a similar perspective if I... Um, and interpreting some of her views and in interviews that I saw, and that it almost feels like a bit of a red herring to get into this debate about what the state of the law is in Ohio on fetal viability, when the law that she is being prosecuted for potentially having violated is around abuse of a corpse. And so, um, you know, I, I, I agree that I don't even know if we get to that stage of having to even discuss the viability if we don't agree that there is a corpse here that could have been abused, um, not to mention any issues around prosecutorial discretion, whether you think, you know, this should be brought at all. That's that's the the first point that I would make. And I, and I think the most important one in this case. The other thing that I would note to just kick things off is I was happy in a way to see that the New York Times was covering this. And or even as you said, that that was the story that you saw, because this first came to my attention a few weeks ago. Uh, and it was covered by a less uh, esteemed publication, let's say, and without as much detail in the reporting, without sharing some of the journey that Ms. Watts is going through and trying to seek medical care that really reflects a lot of struggles that Black women have in getting proper care 
um, particularly in places like Trumbull County that, in my understanding, don't have a lot of resources for maternal care. And, and you really came away from that early reporting thinking, oh, this, this person might have been irresponsible. You know, what was this? Why are you over a toilet with your baby? What's going on? And, and so it's, it's encouraging to see, you know, the New York Times digging into this a little bit more and providing that context to really demonstrate just how out of bounds it is to use any public resources to try to prosecute this woman and further punish her after a very traumatic miscarriage. So I'm glad, uh, Morgan, you brought up the point that it might be a red herring to talk about Ohio's abortion laws when this is really when she's being charged with abuse of a corpse. So that brings the question, uh, Professor Hill, as to what is a corpse? Because, you know, we all probably have some layperson's definition of a corpse. But in the state of Ohio, when you are charged with abuse of a corpse, how is corpse being defined? Right. I mean, that's a great question. So I think, um, you know, it's it's not a term that is clearly defined in Ohio law. But one thing that seems pretty clear is that by charging Ms. Watts with abuse of a corpse, the state of Ohio is trying to say that this is a baby. This is a person. The common understanding of that word obviously refers to people who have been born, who were alive, and then who died, and not to a fetus that has has been miscarried or or even you know after an abortion. And there are actually separate laws in Ohio that talk about how you know fetus and and embryos and so on after a miscarriage and or after an abortion should be handled. I mean, if this had been a miscarriage that occurred in a hospital, it would not have been treated as a corpse. It would not have, they would not have gone through the steps that you go through when a person dies in a hospital. And so um, I think that it's a really just torturing of the law to try to say that it applies to this situation. And also really kind of a sneaky move, if you will, to try to say, you know, notwithstanding everything that just happened in Ohio, we just constitutionalized abortion rights in our constitution, um, that that this is uh, equivalent to a person who has been born, been alive and, and passed away. So Professor Hill, you raise a good point that had the multiple, according to New York Times, time, the multiple times that Ms. Watts went to a hospital, had she been admitted, had she been laying in a hospital bed uh, and had a spontaneous miscarriage in that bed, the hospital personnel would have dealt with the uh, fetus, uh, the embryo, the all the you know things that, that are emitted from your body when you have a miscarriage. But the fact that she was at her home changes things, now makes her subject to this prosecution. What's different? And I don't know, and maybe you know, Morgan, like if you were at home and have a miscarriage, is it common knowledge? What 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 are you supposed to do? Uh, I don't, I don't know. And actually, well, I, was, I didn't know if Professor wanted to answer first with just the, the meaningful yeah, distinction yeah. of the hospital versus um, at home, but... Yeah, there is no standard procedure. That's what's so ridiculous about this. And and I think, you know, just before turning it um, back to Professor Hill, I would just note in the in the reporting, you know, we were seeing this, that it wasn't also that she was looking to go home. I mean, it seems like she was waiting because of the uncertainty that had been created in Ohio before we passed this constitutional amendment. That's so many, this chilling effect in hospitals to provide 
care in the case of a potential miscarriage that she's waiting hours for ethics panels at a hospital to decide what what care they're able to provide under the law that then led her to have to keep going back home and considering some of these decisions and all of that. And so it's a real shame. I mean, it's one of the reasons why so many people across the state and country really were trying to get uh, the amendment passed to make sure that we preserve this right. Because yeah, it's very clear. It just creates so much gray area and puts hospitals and medical professionals in a really tricky position trying to keep up with how some some guys in uh, in our state house are deciding on what appropriate medical care looks like for women. So do you know, and I'm so curious, Professor Hill, about this, you know, geographic distinction. I'm at the hospital down the street in a hospital bed versus I go home and I have this spontaneous miscarriage. And now all of a sudden, you know, I'm criminal. Potentially, I, I'm a criminal. It, the miscarriage is being criminalized where if she was laying in a hospital bed, it would not have been. What is I the mean, distinction? I mean, right. Again, I mean, the only distinction really is that um, hospital personnel would probably have more obligations under the law than uh, a person who is miscarrying at home. So, you know, lots of folks have asked me this question, like, what am I supposed to do if this were to happen? And what does the law say? The law doesn't tell people how they have to handle a miscarriage. You know, no, there is no, nobody is disputing that the fetus was not alive when um, this happened, when it was, when it, when it was delivered. Right. And, and so this is not a question of seeking medical care for a premature baby or anything like this. This was, was absolutely a miscarriage. There's nothing that could have been done. And there's nothing that there, nothing that Ms. Watts did as far as I could tell was a crime at that point. I mean, the, Hospitals have obligations to to manage you know these things in certain ways to make sure that there is you know um, uh, not infection to make sure it's sanitary and things like that. But you know if this happens at home, you're you're not directed to do anything. So I think that's that's one of the most outrageous things. And and actually, as Morgan was just saying, you know when when Ms. Watts presented at the hospital, she was under the 22 week limit that we had in Ohio. In effect at the time. And um, the hospital absolutely could have given her care. They didn't need a reason. They didn't need to determine even whether the fetus still had a heartbeat or, you know, if it was in the, you know, that the, she, she was entitled to be taken care of at that point, but they delayed because of uncertainty and concern and, and um, presumably fear. Let's talk about that because one big question here, Morgan, is how in the hell did they even know? You're at home in privacy of your own home. You have a miscarriage. Now, we know from this article, she goes to the hospital to have what's called a DNC and to, to have some further medical procedures done. And the article says the law enforcement goes to her house and takes her toilet out of her home, her apartment, her bathroom, and that's where they find the fetus. So does that mean that when she shows up at the hospital to have the DNC, a medical provider presumably then calls the police? Is that what's happening in Ohio? Well, yeah, I mean, I, th I think that's exactly what happened. And I do think it connects, like Professor Hill was saying, that, you know, they're trying to cover their bases to make sure they don't have liability and that they, they were following proper procedures since now they were providing her with some level of care in connection to this pregnancy to make sure that that was finished you know, in an appropriate way, I suppose, like the whole course of treatment. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I think you're exactly right. There, there are a couple of problematic aspects of this. One, 
the corpse and whether or not this even fits into the category of being a corpse, given that there was, it was not a viable fetus, there was no birth. Um, and then also, how do you define abuse of a corpse? I mean, is a, is a cremation <laughs> abuse? You know, you have, we have a lot of discretion to decide how we manage um, a death or a lack of life or, you know, in, in different contexts as citizens. And it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense why in this one, a woman who has gone through a miscarriage that happens quite often, there is no dictated course of, of action uh, that anything she she did could be prosecuted as a as a crime here. And that's where I really get at the the like why is the prosecutor doing this? It just doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I'm really disturbed by the fact that you could show up at a hospital having had a miscarriage, already a traumatic experience, and your doctor or nurse or someone then calls the police on you and they go to your house, like what, with a search warrant, Professor Hill, and take your toilet out of your bathroom? Yeah. I mean, it's one, yeah. It, absolutely. It's a travesty that the healthcare provider is the, you know, the a trusted individual is the person that reported uh, Ms. Watts. It's, it, there was no obligation, I can say that, under Ohio law to report that to law enforcement. As a matter of fact, you know, that's, not even close question that that there was no need to report that. Um, and so it was really, you know, again, there there may have been confusion. I don't know what the person was thinking, but um, you know, that it's it's particularly harmful when trusted individuals do that and 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 obviously are likely to deter people from seeking care in the future. Is there any indication by anything you've read, uh, Morgan, because it doesn't say in this article I read, but anything that suggested race played a role in this? She's 34 year old black woman. I don't know. I, I don't know what she had on, how she looked. We know black people are treated differently in our healthcare system. We know that hospitals make assumptions about you when you walk in based on how you dress, how you talk, how you look. Uh, have you read or seen anything to suggest that you know, had she been a 34-year-old affluent, I don't know where this hospital is, but an affluent Shaker Heights woman walking into a hospital that perhaps there would not have been a call to law enforcement? It's it's a very valid question because we just don't know. And, and like the professor was saying, there's no obligation there. And so what was the motivation? I mean, I do think it's a possibility, just the, the climate. I, I think it's hard to um, underestimate just the level of of confusion and fear before we were able to pass this amendment by a lot of medical professionals and, and hospitals with managing their liability. But yeah, also, and, and like I said, in early reporting, they were definitely presenting Ms. Watts as if she was an irresponsible woman, not properly respecting life and just doing whatever in her home, you know, over this toilet. And, and I think, um, you know, it, it's hard to know whether or not there were some medical professionals involved in this that might've shared a similar perspective as that early reporting was suggesting. Yeah. One of the things I'm reading in the article, Professor Hill says that one, she had been to this hospital twice. Mm -hmm. uh, she went home to process some information. She was told this is all coming from a coroner's report she returned the next day, so this is the second time, the same symptoms and left a second time without treatment. On September 22nd, she passed the fetus at home alone in her bathroom and returned to the hospital where she received a dilation and uh, curatage mm -hmm. and also called a DNC to remove the placenta. And then the hospital notified the police department about the miscarriage and the need, this is in quotes, 
to locate the fetus. Uh, when we come forward, I want to talk about this call by the hospital. And is there anything in Ohio law that would have required them to make a call indicating a need to, quote, locate the fetus? Stay with us. KBLA Talk 1580. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. According to a report by the Trumbo County Coroner's Office, Miss Watts was 21 weeks and five days pregnant when she was admitted to St. Joseph Warren Hospital in Youngstown, Ohio, with vaginal bleeding on September 19th. Doctors determined that her water broke prematurely and her cervix became dilated. Miss Watts also had a significantly elevated white blood cell count. Doctors were able to detect cardiac activity, but recommended she be induced and deliver the fetus despite its non-viable status. Because she was at significant risk of maternal death, sepsis, or complete placenta abruption with catastrophic bleeding. Now, on her initial visit to the hospital, Ms. Watson left after waiting eight hours for a hospital ethics panel to determine whether to induce her pregnancy without legal ramifications because she was on the cusp of Ohio's viability timeline. 22 weeks. She went home to process the information she was told. The coroner's office said she returned the next day with the same symptoms and left a second time without treatment. She then passed the fetus at home alone, returned to the hospital. The hospital notified the Warren City Police Department about the miscarriage and the need to locate the fetus. So that's the fact pattern, Professor Hill, that we have here. She's at a hospital. A doctor says she was at significant risk of maternal death, sepsis, or complete placenta abruption with catastrophic bleeding, but yet they would not induce her. Why some why would they they being hospital personnel not induce someone who's literally at risk of dying? And we know what the black woman maternal mortality rates are. We know delivering a baby in the U.S. for Black women is deadly uh, and so risky. That's right. Um, I mean, we don't know exactly what the hospital personnel were thinking. You know, it could have been just genuine confusion about what the law means and what the law requires. It could have been, um, you know, something something else about uncertainty, about you know, whether they thought it was appropriate or not, ho- hospital policy. But The thing that is really clear in this situation is that the law did not forbid uh, that abortion or that, you know, because the fetus had a heartbeat at that time, it would have been considered an abortion under Ohio law, but it would have been perfectly legal uh, before 22 weeks for any reason at all. And even if she had reached the 22 week mark, it would have been legal because her health and life were at risk. But I mean, I will just say, I don't think there's a question about that. And at the same time, we have seen lots of instances in Ohio and actually other places across the country where, um, you know, these folks are not necessarily lawyers. They don't necessarily understand the law. They are confused. They are afraid because these laws carry criminal penalties for the doctors and for the hospital folks um, that they won't go forward, that they feel like the safer course is just not to do it and to risk, you know, harm to the patient, which is really a horrible situation. But to some extent, all of the confusion and all of the incredibly harsh laws are to blame for that, I think. 
Yeah, and again, Morgan, there's this this really chilling statement. The hospital notified the Warren City Police Department about the miscarriage and the need to locate the fetus. What's that about? Yeah, I mean, I I, I do think that there is some... Well, I mean, we cannot discount, like we were talking about before, that there's some discrimination happening and she was being targeted. Um, but I, I also think that there's a pretty high probability that they were trying to manage whatever their perceived sense of liability could be, that they had to kind of like bring an end to the situation because they had been involved in her treatment decisions. It does, it does seem like that's possible. But again, I mean, you know, like Professor Hill was saying, we're not... We're not in the minds of these professional medical professionals that are at the hospital. We They don't have a legal obligation to notify the police and why exactly they decided to do that isn't totally clear. But, you know, that would be that would be one um, one possibility. And the other thing I would know, you know, it's interesting because I completely agree, too, that, you know, just this this chilling effect, the environment it creates. And this ended up being one of the most persuasive points made during this um the campaign to protect reproductive freedom in Ohio was having the government, having, you know, the uh, medical professional can't just treat women regardless of what the situation is to protect their lives and make sure that they're, they're able to stay healthy. This images that we are hearing about in other states of women, you know, having to have miscarriages in parking lots of hospitals because the the medical professionals don't feel comfortable providing care. I mean, this is what got us to a result of, Republicans, independents, and Democrats supporting this constitutional amendment. And in fact, Trumbull County, where this happened, was one of the Trump counties that supported the abortion ballot initiative, um, where, you know, it is a it is leaning more conservatively now, but the people of this county have said, we don't want, we don't want the government involved in these decisions. And we think that women should be able to manage their own medical decisions. Yeah, I want to read some more from this article, Professor Hill. It says the police charged Ms. Watts on October 5th with abuse of a corpse as a felony under a law adopted by the Ohio legislature in 1996. Uh, the case is being prosecuted by the Warren City's prosecutor's office, who happens the prosecutor is a Democrat. Now, it says the law in question bars the treatment of a human corpse in a way that the person knows would outrage either reasonable family sensibilities resulting in a misdemeanor or community sensibilities resulting in a felony charge. So given that she's being charged uh, with felony, a felony abuse of a, a corpse, they're saying that her treatment of this corpse uh, is something that outrages community sensibilities. And do you think that's because the corpse is in the the toilet? I just don't know what she was to do with this this fetus. Exactly. I mean, you got to kind of wonder where do where do people think that miscarriages happen? I mean, this is this is not an uncommon story, right? And I think you know, you look at a law like that and how vague that is, and how much room there is for manipulation. And you got to realize that that's um, a law that allows prosecutors and and police to decide who they want to criminalize and to gives them a lot of leeway to you know criminalize certain people's choices and not others or to go after certain situations and not others and you know i just want to note that there has been 
these cases do pop up across the country from time to time. This is not the first one like this. These sort of bizarre situations where people are criminalized because of particular because of pregnancy outcomes that police or others think are suspicious. And there was even a study by an organization called If When How that looked at about 60 of these cases across the country. And they found that you know, disproportionately, it's people of color who are investigated in connection with pregnancy outcomes. Um, actually, very often, in, in many cases, it is the healthcare professional that turns them in. Um, and in the overwhelming majority of cases, there is some um, misuse of the law, where a law that just doesn't really have anything to do with what happened is kind of twisted and contorted and used to prosecute people, even though it's often just just an abuse of the law, really. And and I think the the really just the the also horrible thing is in the end, you know, Ms. Watts may not ever, you know, go to trial. The charges may get dismissed. If if she does, it may get acquitted. But like, you know, her life has already been profoundly affected and she's already suffered profound harm by by being treated in this way by the system. And so, you know, all of those things are are troubling trends that we have seen in other states. Yeah, the, the autopsy report found that the fetus had died in utero before delivery because of complications of premature rupturing of the membranes. Her lawyer says the law in question bars the treatment of a human corpse in a way that the person knows would outrage the community. And she goes on to say, you know, you can't be a corpse if you never took a breath. So Morgan, how are they, again, there's no, I guess, clear definition in the state of Ohio of what a corpse is, but if everybody agrees that the fetus died, the fetus is dead, you know, before the delivery, can you be a corpse? Yeah. And I guess you have to couple that with your viability, fetal viability starts in your state at 22 weeks. She's not 22 weeks. Right. But I but I don't even think we need to get there to question what is happening here. And, and another thing that I think is interesting is the judge. And this was, again, in some of the earlier coverage, there was a video of him also being very confused about the law. and just like, oh, this might connect to this constitutional amendment thing as he was greenlighting this to head to the grand jury. And now he's retired, oddly. Right. And so I don't know what's going on, but it doesn't seem like the prosecutor or maybe the judicial uh, branch there in Trumbull County has a clear understanding of of the law, unfortunately. Mm, yeah, the Democratic prosecutor, Dennis Watkins, said his office was duty-bound to follow Ohio law and move forward with the grand jury proceeding. When we come forward, I want to talk about uh, that uh, amendment to the Constitution of the state of Ohio that enshrines abortion rights and how cases like this will move forward in light of that ballot initiative. Stay with us, KBLA Talk 1580. So Jesse Hill, professor of law at Case Western Reserve University and lawyer who litigates reproductive rights cases, and Morgan Harper, attorney and former candidate for U.S. Senate in Ohio, are joining me as we're talking about this very, very upsetting and bizarre case of a 34-year-old Black woman who uh, is facing a a felony prosecution uh, if a grand jury uh, decides to indict because she has a miscarriage at home and hospital staff calls the police on her and then tells the police they've got to go locate this fetus. A lot of bizarre, uh, you know, actions by 
your trusted medical provider or not so trusted medical provider. Uh, but Morgan, in these last couple of minutes, want to talk about what's happening in Ohio because you were, you were on the show when we talked about how this coalition of voters came together to pass a ballot initiative that did enshrine abortion rights into Ohio's uh, constitution. And then I remember seeing articles where your Republican state legislature says, we don't care how the voters voted, we are not going to uh, comply. We're not going to comply with uh, this, you know, new amendment to the Ohio uh, Constitution. So what's going on in the state of Ohio now around abortions, particularly given this brazen uh, attitude of Republican lawmakers? Yeah, so I mean, we did pass the amendment. There, there were attempts to try to see if you know they could stall that or try to roll back some of it. But it is the law of the land in Ohio that we have the ability to make our own reproductive health decisions, including in the cases of miscarriage. Um, there is still the ability through the amendment to prohibit um, activity after fetal viability, but that's determined on a case-by-case -case basis. And if there's any potential harm or, you know, death to uh, the mother, then, you know, that then that would not be as relevant. And so that's good. That's the good news. Um, I, but the, the journey certainly continues for us. Cause like you said, I mean, the, the state legislature is not really trying to make Ohio a place where rights are protected and freedom is protected. We just saw that the governor had to veto an attempt to limit trans people from getting um, gender, you know, affirming care. And, and that is something the state legislature has said that they want to try to override and they have a supermajority. So they've come back early from break to do that. Um, and, and so it's, it's, the fight continues. It's still quite treacherous right now. I would say from a, a civil rights and, um, and civil liberties perspective here in the state of Ohio and, and a lot of the coalition that enshrined the right to abortion is continuing to do work to protect all of our rights across the board. So, Professor Hill, I know you litigate uh, reproductive rights cases. You know, what are courts in Ohio? And I presume that, you know, there may be a majority, correct me if I'm wrong, of conservatives that are on your courts, given who's been the governor of the state for the last, you know, decade or so. How are courts going to interpret cases brought uh where women are trying to enforce their reproductive rights, given the hostility towards the amendment by the legislature? Well, that's the big question right now. Um, and, and it's a really important one. So you're correct. Our Ohio Supreme Court uh, has seven justices on it. And four of those are Republicans who are, um, you know, very anti-abortion, actually campaigned in their elections against abortion. Our, our judges are all elected at the state level in Ohio. So, uh, and in fact, there is a hugely important election coming up in November, 2024, not just for our country, but also for our Ohio Supreme Court, because there is a possibility, uh, there are three seats that are up, two are held by Democrats, one by a Republican. And so there is a possibility to flip that majority right now in Ohio. And I think, um, you know, people may or may not realize this, but ultimately, all of the questions under the new amendment that were passed, all of the interpretation, any cases that arise are going to end up before that Ohio Supreme Court. And Ohioans really have to decide, you know, do they want justices who campaigned against abortion, who said they don't think abortion is a constitutional right, 
sitting on those cases or or not. So it's it's a big moment right now and very, very important question. And what leeway will these Republican justices who've made it very clear uh, that women should not have the rights uh, that have been voted on by the Ohio, you know, the citizens of the state of Ohio, what rights might these judges have? Can they determine that that amendment is unconstitutional and, and uh, you know, could determine it null and void? Is that likely to be the kind of case that we see brought up to the Ohio Supreme Court in the same way we saw, you know, the case that was brought before the U.S. Supreme Court to overturn Roe v. Wade? Right. Well, Right now, actually, just today, the Ohio, some legislators in Ohio introduced um, a law that would say that actually the courts don't have any jurisdiction over this new amendment at all. And only the legislature does because they're afraid there might be some courts that actually interpret the law the way it was written and the amendment the way it was meant to be applied. And even the way the Ohio, which has a Republican attorney general, said, you know, most ban all bans and most restrictions on abortion currently in Ohio would be unconstitutional under this new law, as many, many people acknowledge. So they're just trying to take it away from the courts completely. Now, that in and of itself is probably an unconstitutional move. You can't just the legislature doesn't just get to do that. Um, but, yeah, you know, I think there there could be questions on the borderline where a court that was really hostile to abortion rights might be inclined to um, not take the amendment at face value and and not read it for everything that that it's meant to do. What are you seeing, Morgan, on the grounds? I mean, this case, obviously, hopefully it's an aberration. Hopefully the hospital involved in this case is not operating like this on a regular. You know, hopefully this isn't standard operating procedures where women come into the hospitals and they call the police. I mean, I'm just so appalled by the conduct of, of these uh, medical professionals. And uh, I do want to say we've seen a lot of doctors on the front lines, you know, working with and building coalitions with abortion rights activists. So many doctors are, are, are just as disgusted uh, by the position that they're put in by some of these restrictive abortion laws. But what are you hearing on the grounds now that the amendment is passed? Uh is this case, is this going to happen again? Are, are doctors still themselves going to be, uh, you know, on the hunt to report women who might fall in that 21, 20, you know, week time period? Or do you think doctors now feel energized and feel liberated? Hey, we have this amendment to the Constitution. Now we don't have to call the police on our patients. Yeah, I mean, I I think that it's it's tough to totally relax here at the at the moment. And I think there's a real feeling that we have to continue to be vigilant and, you know, take, for example, with the Supreme Court races that Professor Hill was mentioning, those are usually fairly sleepy races. They don't get a lot of attention. I don't think if you ask people, is there a Supreme Court in Ohio? I'm not sure most people would even know that the answer is yes. Right. Mm -hmm. um, Definitely but, not who sits on it. Nobody <laughs> would probably know. Yeah, that. And not, yeah, would not be able to name a justice for sure. Um, but that is likely to change in this environment. We saw unprecedented levels of um, participation and turnout. And, and so there is a strong possibility, given the level of scrutiny right now around some of these decisions and the way discretion is used and the effort that it took to protect our rights here that we hope will transfer over into some of these races. And, and like I was referencing earlier, you know, it's, it's not just reproductive rights. There is a larger assault here in the state of Ohio 
on freedom on all fronts and that this is going to be a state that is welcome to everyone. And that's something that people are very aware of, that we're fighting for the future of our our home, that it's going to continue to be a place that we all are able to live and be ourselves. Real quickly, uh, Professor Hill, if you are a woman, particularly a woman of color, and you are experiencing problems with a pregnancy, you think you're having a miscarriage, should you go to a hospital, period? No. Well, I, you know, I'm not a doctor. I think probably the answer is yes, because after all, I mean, you know, folks need medical care. And I do think that most health professionals are really trying to help people and trying to do the right thing in most cases, you know, but it's it's really scary to say that you don't always know that that's going to be the case. Thank you so much. We are out of time. Appreciate all the work that both of you, uh, Professor Hill and Morgan, uh, that you are doing on this issue. Such an important issue. Uh, obviously not the last case that we're going to see of this kind, but hopefully folks start to realize how important these races are. As you said, Morgan, these down ballot races, these local races, these judicial races, all very, very important uh, in this election season. Next voice that you hear will be Robin Ayers and the Raw Report right here on KBLA Talk 1580. Don't touch that dial.